Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to Rob Guinea about using precept inductive Bible study skills to enable God to reach his heart in a deeper way. He also talks about his trust in God in many things through his life. Sit back and be encouraged. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speaking and may not represent the views of Precept Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. I am delighted to welcome Rob Guinea to the program today. Rob is married to Jane. They live in Fleetwood in Lancashire. They have two grown-up children, Joel and Caitlin. Rob has many arrows in his quiver. He has formal qualifications or university degrees in physics, theology, and Christian leadership, therapeutic counseling, and cognitive behavior therapy. He has been a school head teacher in the UK and in Kenya, in Africa. He is an associate pastor and is currently leading a church plant on two housing estates in Fleetwood in Lancashire. Rob loves music, including playing his guitar, walking. Uh, He's walked up both Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. Uh, Tennis, history, good movies. But he doesn't so much like camping or (laughs) DIY or eating fish. That's that's correct. So, Rob, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nigel. It's great to be here. Uh, Rob, how and when did you become a follower of Jesus? Well, I became a Christian when I was um, 16 years old. Um, do you want me to tell you how that happened? Absolutely. Um, well, um, a lot of things led up to it. When you look back, you can see there a lot of pieces of the jigsaw. Um, one of the things that was significant was that um, we did a, a stage production of Jesus Christ Superstar when I was at school. And I, for some strange reason, uh, someone cast me as Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that was interesting. I was, I think, 14 then, and I think, although I was brought up uh, to go to chapel, um, my mum had a faith uh, in God. My dad, um, not a believer, really, until the very end of his life, uh, but I was brought up to go to chapel, and so I had a sort of a, um, uh, an idea of, of the Christian faith, but I think that was the first time I began to realize that uh, Jesus was a real person, when I was, um, I guess, trying to you know, think myself into the part. Uh, it t- took me to the Bible, uh, took me to the stories of Jesus, and I think it's the first time I began to really think, wow, this was a real person who really lived in a, at a real time in history, you know. Um, I always had a, a, an idea there was something more to this life. I remember, you know, with a friend of mine who later on became a Christian and is now a minister, actually, looking at the stars and saying, wow, there's got to be, got to be something more. Um, but um, what happened was that uh, on the television there had been a, um, a program of American evangelist uh, documentary, and it was an expose. So it was a very throwing the, this guy, I can't remember who he was now, in a very bad light, a uh, con man who was just after your money and all the rest of it. And it coincided with a, a church, I didn't realize at the time, but a church was planting, planting a church uh, near me. And they were having a divine healing crusade. Don't hear much about those sorts of things, do you, today? Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I thought, right, this is it. I've seen this on the television. These guys are just out for your money and they're con men and it was a bit of a spectacle. And, 
Uh, and at 16, of course, I knew everything there was to know about, about life and the world and everything. So I was going to expose them. Uh, and um, I said to a friend of mine, uh, why don't we go? He said, okay, we'll go. And it was 16. We both had mopeds. I think I had a Honda SS50. Uh, and it was a horrible, dark sort of night. I think it might have been raining. Where, uh, where was this? This, this, was, this was in... Uh, I, I was brought up south of Chester, a little place called Mulpus, and the, uh, the church was being planted in a place called Witchers, just over the, on the Shropshire border there. And so I, I called for my mate, uh, and, he's, and he chickened out. He wouldn't go. <laughs> so I remember standing there thinking, oh, shall I bother, shan't I? But I was intrigued. So I went... And so I arrived at this, uh, the, 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 the town hall, uh, the civic centre, I think it was, and um, I heard the gospel that night. I don't know if I'd ever heard it before as I was growing up. I may have done, but I heard it in a different way that night. Um, and I realised that um, I was not on the way to heaven. I realised that um, if I died that night, heaven would not be where I would go uh, because I, I had broken God's law. I had not followed him with all my heart and soul and mind. I'm not sure I, I thought of it in those terms, but I just knew that uh, I was in danger. Uh, and so having entered very cynical, I didn't even take any money. I said, I'm not taking any money because they might con me into, into giving it away. <laughs> having entered very cynical, uh, not exactly to have a laugh, but not at all positive and very suspicious, God just zapped me. Um, I mean, different people become Christians in different ways. But for me, it was that sudden. Uh, and I just knew uh, when they, they asked if folk wanted to become a Christian, I couldn't get out to the front quick enough. Mm. Um, I almost raced out to the front um, to make my peace with God and give my life to Christ. And, uh, and I became a Christian that night, and the change was... Um, was, was um, instantaneous. Um, I went, I went, I don't know what people thought, I went home singing in my crash helmet, <laughs> some little chorus that, that I'd learned that night uh, and told my mum and dad and my sisters they were all going to hell. Um, uh, my sister, uh, my, who I love very much, uh, Marilyn, lives in Australia now, she'll give you three months. Um, I went to school the next day and told everybody I'd been saved. I remember my form teacher saying, what from? And that stumped me because I couldn't remember. What, <laughs> I couldn't remember what I'd been saved from. When I went, later on, I thought, oh, that was it. Hell and, and all that sort of stuff. But at the time, it was just, I'd, I'd really had met Jesus Christ in oh. a very real way. And it completely changed my life. And so this was, you were 16 at the 16, time. 16, yeah. And um, radical change. And what happened over the next sort of couple of years before you sort of left school? I mean, were you were you I was persecuted, or were, I mean, no, did people think you were no, a bit odd? Or? The, yeah, I mean, yeah. My, my parents uh, suggested I go and see a psychiatrist. Uh, <laughs> they, they really did thought because to be looking back on it now, I was I was for a while a little over the top, shall we say? I think I possibly was, and I can understand as a parent myself now why they would say. Uh, Robert, I think we need to go and see the doctor. <laughs> um, but they were, um, the, the church was being planted, so there were about half a dozen of us. And I'm, honestly, Nigel, there were, uh, no disrespect, there were perhaps six old ladies and me, uh, plus the pastor. Um, but, you know, there was, I didn't, didn't bother me. Like, you know, teenagers, you'd think, well, why on earth would you continue to go when there's nothing cool about that whatsoever? But I was thirsty and hungry for this new faith and this new relationship. And because they were planting a church uh, with new believers, they started from scratch. So I, I, I learned the basics of my faith. And it was a Pentecostal church, so I learned also about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
as if it was just a normal thing, nothing, I, that's not the right way to put it, but it wasn't, uh, it was just taught as part of what happens to you when you're a Christian. Mm. Um, and so I, I think I learned, I was very, so grateful to God that I learned a lot, I think, in a short time, not because I'm particularly bright, but because that's the context I was in and learned about my faith. Uh, suddenly the Bible began to make sense to me. I'd had a... Um, I'd had a sort of an interest in the Bible for a while. A, a family friend was a Methodist minister, a lovely guy who's, who's, who's died now, but he gave me um, a couple of Bible books. One of them was the book of Job. And, you know, can you believe that, you know, as a 14, 15-year-old, I was fascinated by the book of Job. The no, idea, I can't believe it. <laughs> the idea there really was a, a God and there really was a devil and there really was a spiritual world out there and that, and, that, and that God should allow these things to happen to Job and the amazing chapters at the end of Job um, where, where God speaks to Job. I, I got a, a, a feeling of grandeur, a feeling of awe from this, from this uh, book. Um, but when I became a, a Christian, uh, gave my life to the Lord Jesus, it, it all began to slot into place. I, I, was, I, was, I loved the Sermon on the Mount. I remember uh, memorizing the, the Beatitudes and, and saying, Lord, I, I just want, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness and I want you to fill me um, and I remember thinking a while later when almost every day of my week was taken up with something to do with church, well, you've certainly filled me. <laughs> and I had, to, uh, I had to come back a bit from that. <laughs> wow, amazing story. Amazing. God really got a hold of you. And you weren't afraid to share that with others. I, I know, um, I know, as I say, I, I, I went to school the next day and just told everybody. Uh, nobody told me to do that. Um, and it wasn't that I'm a very brave thing. It was just, I don't know, I, was, I just almost couldn't stop myself mm. um, and my, I had some good friends still have got some of them and I think they probably thought I was gone a bit odd uh, but subsequent to that um, a couple more of my friends um, have become Christians I had, the, I had the amazing privilege of leading you know perhaps my closest friend or one, one of my closest friends who I'd been at school with since age five uh, I remember we'd all been out down to the pub but we were, we were, we had, we, we progressed to slightly bigger bikes then. I, I'd love to say that mine was a Norton Villiers 800 or something, but I never got quite that high. <laughs> um, my, my friends did, and we'd been, we'd been down to the pub that night, and, um, and we went back to his place, and, and, and he said, oh, tell me all about this then. And I remember that night, he asked the Lord into his life and had the same sort of experience as me. He had a very dramatic conversion. He's now a Methodist minister, my friend Kev. Oh, isn't, isn't that mm. wonderful? Mm. Um, on leaving school, you studied photography. I did, uh, but nothing developed, I always say. So again? Nothing developed from that, <laughs> I always say. If Jane was here, she'd be groaning now. That's my wife, Jane. Uh, and you became a teacher in a Christian school and eventually became head of science in a comprehensive school. What drew you to the teaching profession? Right, well, again, that's very much um, the way God uh, had planned that for me. Uh, I'd finished a course, a degree-level course in photography, but as I, as I just said, nothing developed from that. That was a big failure in my life. Um, and uh, I, was, I didn't have anything to do, uh, but I was involved with a, a church. I was 20, 21 at the time, uh, involved with the church that had a Christian school, the Emmanuel Church in Fleetwood. Um, and uh, they needed someone just to help out, not exactly to teach, uh, and asked me if I would consider it. Um, and I thought, me, teaching, schools, no, definitely not. But there, I was persuaded to go and do a week's training, and as I had nothing better to do, 
um, I thought, well, okay, that's something to do. Um, and um, as I walked into the school, uh, it was a Christian education, Christian school, running an American program, uh, AC Accelerated Christian Education. As I walked in and began this training, um, it is like as if God said, this is it for you. Uh, and my heart just went bang. Something, it just, it just fit like, you know, a, a, a round peg in a, a round hole. Uh, and I just knew it was what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I'm not actually teaching in a school setting at the moment, but for, what is it, 20 years or, or so, that's, uh, that's where God had me. And, and Christian education particularly, um, I was drawn to, to be able to teach science, maths, history, geography. And to be honest, it was a small school, so we did tend to teach a variety of subjects. And I did end up teaching, even though I didn't have any formal training and qualifications at that time. Um, but to be able to teach those from, from God's perspective, to be able to teach from a biblical perspective. Um, and uh, it was such a, an amazing privilege, and I, I just loved to do it for the time that I was there. Wonderful. In 2002, you moved to take up a post of deputy head of Rusinga School. I hope I've that's it, yeah, that's correct. In Nairobi, in Kenya. Yeah, that's right. Um, Tell us about your time there, and what did God teach you through your time in Kenya? Okay, well, I'd been away and got some proper qualifications, as they say, done a degree in physics and then a, a teaching certificate, and then I'd been a, a science teacher in a few comprehensive schools in, in Shropshire. Um, and then we'd always had a desire, Jane and I, to, uh, to go abroad. Uh, Jane particularly wanted to be a missionary. She'd written off to mission societies at about age 12, offering her services. And, <laughs> and they'd said, well, perhaps just stay at school and get your qualifications first. And, uh, I'd, I'd not had that desire, really, to be a missionary, but to travel was something that uh, I'd like to have done and see a different culture. And, uh, but not Nairobi, uh, because Nairobi uh, was da a dangerous place um, to go to. But long story short, um, I saw an advert and decided to apply for it, persuaded by Jane, encouraged, I should say. Um, never thought that uh, I, would, uh, I would get this, uh, this job, really. It was for a deputy head um, in a big, well, a fairly large international school in Nairobi, uh, British curriculum. Um, and so I was called for interview. I had one interview in this country, then called for interview in Kenya. So we, Jane and I went to Nairobi for the weekend for an interview, as you do, as you do, as you do. Um, and I was immediately struck by the insecurity of the place, um, a lot of poverty right next door to a lot of riches, a lot of gun crime, um, a lot of muggings, um, kidnappings, the, everybody lives behind barb, uh, barbed wire and, and doors and dogs and uh, and I remember sitting there for my interview, to go in for my interview, and I said to the, the deputy head there, how was your weekend? And he said, oh, it was, oh, yeah, it was okay. Oh, apart from getting carjacked. And he described how he'd been carjacked with his um, uh, family and put in the boot of his car and driven around and dumped in the local forest. And uh, you were applying for his yeah, job? Yeah, and I'm thinking, no, no, not, no he, this was a, uh, there were more, there's more than one deputy. Um, and so I'm thinking, that's it, I don't want this job, I'm going to go in and just go through the motions, and then we're going to get home. And I went in, uh, and they offered me the job. And I said, um, I'd like some time to think about it. And uh, the chairman of the board said, well, you just shared with us, Mr. Guinea, how um, you've been wanting to go uh, to Africa for quite a long time, and the doors have always been shut. Uh, well, this one is now open. Um, and so... Um, God was very gracious. I, won't, I haven't got time to go into it now, but he confirmed through the scripture 
that this was where we should be. So we went with our family. And I think the qu your question was, what did I learn? Um, a, a number of things. Um, one of them being the, 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 the need to, to trust God for safety. Uh, I was very, um, um, very unsettled through part of that time because I felt responsible for my family and it was a dangerous place uh, to live. Jane uh, had a lot more faith in God than I, or she was completely oblivious. I'm not quite sure <laughs> which, it, which it was. Um, but, um, but I remember being home uh, for a holiday and walking down the street and, uh, and saying to God, oh, this is amazing. I can just walk down the street. I don't have to worry about who's behind me. I'm, I'm not listening if anybody's following me. I'm not looking to see if any cars are pulling out after me. Oh, this is so great being here. And it's one of those occasions, uh, rare occasions, when you hear the voice of God. And he said to me, is that what you want? And I stopped in my tracks and said, yes. He said, you want that or do you want to have such a close relationship with me that you're relying on me every day for your safety. Which would you prefer? And there and then I said, yeah, okay. We'll go back to, we were, we were going back anyway, but yeah. I would rather be in a place that's unsafe physically that I may learn that you are my safety than to be in a place which is easy and safe and never know that. So God taught me so much um, about trusting him uh, in unsafe places, mm. I suppose, amongst mm. other things. I mean, what, I must just say that I discovered precepts there. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, okay. you, you reminded me of, of that, um, you know, in the Psalms, uh, where the psalmist says, God is my refuge Absolutely. and strength, a very yeah. present help in times yeah. of trouble. Safety is an illusion. We're, we're none of us safe. We're none of us can make our heart beat another beat. We're none of us know what will happen on the roads. God is our, own, our only safe refuge. And the African Christians taught me that. They told me that. And I heard it, but it didn't sink in until God told it me. Yeah. And then it sunk in. Yeah, so obviously this is a podcast uh, by Precept Ministries. You said you came across Precept in, in Africa. And yeah. of course, Precept is, yeah. is in many, many countries around the world. Yeah. How did, just briefly, how did you come across Precept? And, and how, how was that helpful to you in your time out there? Well, Jane got involved with the precepts group out there, and I didn't really know what she was doing, really. Um, I was uh, with a little team writing Christian curriculum, so we were taking the British curriculum, GCSE and A-level curriculum. We were taking it apart. We were building it back up on Christian principles so we could deliver both uh, an exam course uh, and um, you know, give a, a Christian basis for that. Uh, and I'm doing word studies and looking at things like um, the word energy and where that's used in the scripture uh, in order to write curriculum. And Jane is also, we're both fighting over the strongs and the vines and she's doing word studies. And after a while I said, what are you doing? So she explained why she was doing word studies. And we discovered that we were almost doing a similar sort of thing, but from a different, um, in a different context. Uh, and so then I began uh, to, to, to get involved. Never went to the group, but I began to get involved in, in doing the precepts studies, discovered inductive Bible study, discovered that you could write curriculum with inductive Bible study, um, discovered um, that, it, that the Bible, although the Bible um, was a, li a living book for me, uh, it suddenly went up another level, shall we say, in terms of how God used it in my life and how God spoke to me because I was understanding it in a, uh, a deeper way, academically in my head, 
But God was also reaching my heart um, in a deeper way as well um, through the way in which the word was being applied and the way in which I, could, I was learning to apply it mm. uh, to my life as mm. well. And you, am I right, so you ended up leading that um, school? Yeah, right? yeah, yes. The, um, the, 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 the head um, uh, moved on to other things and evidently it was a tradition in the school that the deputy head became the head. Nobody told me that. And I've never been one to seek um, leadership, really. Um, but anyway, that's what happened. Yeah, I became the head for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> now, you returned to the UK in 2005, and you became deputy and then head of Emmanuel Christian School in Fleetwood. How did your faith in the Lord lead and guide you during this time? Yeah, that was interesting because, if you remember, I'd started off uh, as an unqualified teacher in the Emmanuel Christian School in Fleetwood not from Fleetwood, and when we came back to Kenya, um, we weren't, weren't necessarily aiming to return to Fleetwood, but that's, again, that's how God guided us and led us back there. So I was back in the, in the same school, but sort of 17, 18, 19 years on or something like that. Um, yeah, um, it, it was, a, it was and sadly it's closed now, but it was a beautiful, lovely school uh, to work at, only... Um, when I was there, maybe 50, 60 children, it had been more than that, uh, from all ages, working with a team of staff who weren't paid uh, very much. Uh, they were all passionate volunteers, almost missionaries, pioneers, really, who just cared so much about uh, Christian education and, and children that they were willing to give for that. Uh, but sadly, the school um, took a turn for the worse financially, uh, without uh, going into a lot of details, the site that the school was on uh, was being sold. Um, and that led um, to the site deteriorating. Um, and so... Um, that must have been really hard to... It was hard. Um, I think that we had a, um, a, a bunch of parents that simply wanted a little school for whatever reason. And we had a bunch of parents who wanted a Christian education. Uh, and we were left with the, the latter. We were left with a core of parents who, who, who desperately wanted a Christian education for their kids. Um, and so I guess um, how my faith helped me is that we believed that we were doing the right thing. We were, we were trusting God to lead us and guide us. We were trusting God to provide for us. And he did in many, many ways. I could tell you many marvelous examples of how he provided for us. But in the end, um, the school closed uh, and I think in that, um, in those years, and I wasn't, I wasn't the head at the end, uh, I'd, I'd moved on into the church ministry at that point, but um, in those years we taught, we, we learned, I think, to, to trust God when things go wrong, to trust God when um, things uh, aren't always provided and he doesn't always do things in the way in which you think he should do them. Um, it, was a, it was a very hard time. Of, of much angst and much praying um, and much sacrifice by many people um, but a precious time because it's in those times you learn that our security again you know is in God it's not dissimilar to what he was teaching me in Kenya I think uh, mm. I think um, I, I think you can you can boil the Christian life down to one word which is trust um, and I think that's all the way along what God is and is continuing uh, to teach me yeah. Well, Hebrews talks about without faith, yeah. it is impossible to please God. Absolutely. So unless we are living by faith, walking exactly. by faith, trusting yeah. him, as you said, then yeah. the Bible says we can't please God. Yeah. I mean, that's quite 
stark, isn't it? Absolutely. Really? He wants us to live by Absolutely. faith. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Now, you did an MA in theology and Christian leadership at Moreland's Bible College from uh, yep. 2007 to 2010. Yeah. And then you became the associate minister at Emmanuel Church in Fleetwood before yep. leading a church plant on two housing estates. So I want to ask you, why are you leading a church plant on two housing estates? Uh, how, how has it been doing that? And what are you learning about God through this? So what was that journey to take you to do that? Well, okay, there's a number of ways to answer that. Um, there are two housing estates in the town that don't have a, a church building. I won't say they're not, they're not, they're not covered by a, a church because they're in an Anglican and Catholic parish. But there's no church building on those uh, estates. Um, and we were, uh, the church that I was um, associate minister, still am associate minister for, was getting too big for our building. Um, so uh, the church had always had a sort of a, 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 an idea to, uh, to expand and become a, a mega church, if you will. That's slightly pretentious. To, be, to become a large, a large church. Um, but we felt that God was now saying something different to us as a legit team. We felt that he was calling us to become a church planting church. Um, and so I was given, I volunteered not to be a church planter. I volunteered to simply research. They, they gave me three months off to research church planting, to research these estates. Uh, I went to visit um, the guys up at the Crowded House Network in, in Sheffield and was very, very struck with um, how they plant um, churches um, and came back to say that um, I felt this was a, this was a, a way forward for us and uh, this would be the, the way I would choose to do it if it was me, uh, but of course um, I wasn't intending that it would be me, so now we need to find someone to lead that. <laughs> I can see where this is going. <laughs> and everybody else seemed to think that I was the ideal person for it, um, and I had got very excited about it, and I think, to be candid, I'm not sure, you might want to edit this bit out, um, Nigel, but I was actually getting rather bored with ordinary church, and I was a church leader. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I can remember um, leading church services from the platform thinking, I'm so bored by this. And that may sound like a terrible thing to say, um, but I think that God, well, I do know that God was leading us to do something different. And I, and I don't want to be in any way disrespectful to the ordinary way of doing church, but God, I think, was leading us to go onto these two estates and to do church in a different way. So in a sense, you know, he was using my changing feelings about the way we do church um, to spur me into doing something different. So I guess you're going to want to know what we're doing, which is, which is different. Well, um, we don't have a building. Um, we, meet, uh, we want to meet in public spaces. Uh, we want to, if you like, it's a bit of a cliche, but take the church out to, to people rather than expecting people to come to church. It's a, uh, rather than an attractional model, come to our events, come to our building. It's a, what's the opposite, attractional whatever it is, incarnational model, you might say, it's going to, um, to the people where they are. So we meet in, in a home on one estate. One estate is a quite well-to-do, um, middle class, maybe retirement estate. Uh, we meet in a home there. 
The other estate, and there's almost like a little wall between the two of them, is um, a social housing estate with lots of challenges. Uh, we meet there in a little community centre. Uh, we're in two separate groups, so the church is actually made up of two separate missional groups, missional communities, if you want to call them that. The two estates are very different, so each missional community can become different uh, in order to be relevant to the, to the people that live in those estates, do things differently. Um, we come together once a month in the only really public place uh, in the, on, the, on the two estates, which is the local pub. Uh, and the guy there uh, said, well, you know, we're, we're, we don't open until 12 o'clock, so you're able to so use, use, use the pub on a Sunday morning. We do that once, uh, once a month. We always say you can thirst after righteousness then. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and um, we've tried to be very low on meetings. Um, we've tried to give people time and space to get involved in the community, to join groups. Um, we have a, a computer clinic that we host in the, in the pub. Um, some of the ladies have started a Pilates uh, group. Um, whatever's going on in the community, we encourage people to join in. Rather than start our own stuff, what's already going on that, that you can join. Uh, and basically our, 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 our aim is to, is to make friends, um, to invite those friends to see the gospel working in our Christian community as, as, as we get into relationship with them, and then to share that gospel uh, in words and deeds uh, with those whom, we're, whom we are, are getting to know. Um, so yeah, it, we've had to unlearn an awful lot of the normal way we do church. We, we, of, we often say we're Emmanuel West, we can do anything, which isn't strictly true, um, but um, the spirit of it is that um, under God, um, we want to to explore ways of reaching people and doing church and being relevant, which is faithful, faithful to the scripture and faithful to the Bible, mm. but but not necessarily conforming to the uh, conventional forms. Uh, the message doesn't change, but the vehicle for the message mm. has to change with each with each new culture, mm. each new how, people. How have you seen God move? It's been really and is really hard, uh, Nigel. I think uh, I'm, I'm quoted as saying, well, if this hasn't worked, now define worked. What does that actually mean, worked? If this hasn't worked within two years, I'm out of here because uh, life is too short to do things which don't work. Um, it didn't work out like that. Um, we had a, an initial flourish, uh, and we had a three or four baptisms in the first um, year. Um, and after that, a trickle shall we say, of people that have been affected and touched uh, and one or two uh, wonderfully saved. Uh, and we've been, we've been there five years now. Um, and I think uh, what I'm learning, what we're all learning, I think, is that um, these sorts of, um, of outreaches, missions, we, we regard ourselves as a mission team. We are a church, but we're first and foremost a mission team who are also a church. And these sorts of missions... Um, Unless God um, does something unusual for our culture and for our day, they're long-haul things. Um, especially in, in difficult estates, um, people see uh, agencies, including churches and non-church agencies, come with funding, stay for a while, do a little bit of something, and then go. Um, and uh, I think people are used to um, uh, people... Uh, disappearing off the scene and, and I think that um, we're called to be there uh, as a church for the long haul um, 
it's lovely that the little community, community centre where we meet regard us as their community church. Um, I have some lovely, lovely relationships and, and contacts with people who wouldn't even consider uh, becoming a Christian or even coming to church. Um, but uh, we can talk and we can joke. And, you know, it, we're up there in the north, so, you know, you know people like you if they start insulting you. So uh, we do a bit of that, uh, you know, in love, of course, and we take a bit of that as well, take a lot of that, actually. Um, and um, something is happening which is, which is very beautiful in lots of ways, but it's slow, it's hard, it's needy, it's draining. Um, yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted, and uh, we need God's grace and provision every step of the way. Mm. Well, you are a bit of an action man uh, you like you like change you like risk um tell us about your recent walk up mount kenya yeah okay well um just to backtrack slightly um 12 13 something years ago uh, myself and two friends um climbed walked up mount Kiliman, kilimanjaro in in tanzania um and we said at the time we'd like to do it again one day with our sons um and so we did this last year, except we decided we'd already done Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain in Africa, freestanding mountain. Let's do Kenya, which is the second highest freestanding mountain in Africa. And we each went um, with one of our uh, sons. I've only got one son, but um, another, my friend Johnny's got two. Went with one of his sons. Um, yeah, and so um, it was a six-day trek. Um, it was, uh, somebody said, so you carried all your gear? No, I'm afraid not. Uh, we had a team of about 18 or 20 Sherpas, porters with us, two cooks, uh, a guide. Well, just for the four of you? Yeah, just for the, just for the six of us. There was, there was three guys and their three sons, so six of us. But of course, as well as carrying all our stuff, they had to carry all their stuff and food and water for six days. Uh, and it was amazing. The scenery is, um, is amazing. Um, Sadly, I got altitude sickness, which is the same thing that I had on Kilimanjaro. So for a couple of days on the way up, I'm feeling sick and headachy, and that spoiled things really a little bit at the beginning. And then when you get near the top, you're on 50% oxygen. So it's not a steep walk, but every step um, is very costly. Um, but uh, getting to the top was an amazing achievement. And then on the way down, the altitude sickness just uh, disappeared. Uh, uh, and it was a real privilege to be doing it with my son. My son, Joel, who's 29, and whom I love very dearly. And we had a great, great time. Um, he looked after me. You know, it was, uh, it was, you know, be careful, Dad. You're an old man now. Um, <laughs> put your foot where I'm putting. I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to you. And um, No, but it was great. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And to be, I, 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 I wouldn't call myself an action man, but I do love getting up high mountains. I love walking in the lakes. And there's something about the awesomeness and the space that just um, sings of God. You know, all that space, all that strength, all that awesome power um, is there, I think, as a, as, a, as a hint of what God is like and who God is. Did you get a good view of the stars? From the top of the oh, mountain? absolutely we did. Yeah, the stars are incredible. You know, you can see the Milky Way across the sky. Um, yeah, the st the st and, and it was fine. It was when we climbed Kilimanjaro, it rained almost all the time. That was that was grim. Of course, we did go in the rainy season through the rainforest, so there's a bit of a clue there. Um, but at Mount Kenya, um, it was clear and it was and it was sunny, very cold. You're camping, and I'm not a camper. 
I hate camping, but, you know, needs must. So you're camping at about, I don't know, minus 10 or 15 or something like that. <laughs> wow, well, good on you. Congratulations for getting up there. Molly Thank and I uh, walked up uh, Mount, and I've forgotten the jolly name of it now, in uh, Brunei about four or five years ago, and that was quite a, quite yeah. a, a walk yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you talked about the Bible, and uh, from really when age 16, um, why, why is the Bible important to you, Rob? Well, um, so many reasons. Um, uh, I think the most important reason is perhaps a subjective one, although there are some objective reasons, but um, the Bible, it sounds like a cliche maybe, but the Bible is the way in which I meet God, the way in which he speaks to me. Um, I come to the Bible uh, with all my stuff and all my junk uh, and all my anxieties and all my fears and... and um, it is difficult at the moment, uh, pastoring this little church plant, and um, it does um, it does make me um, fearful. Um, it does sometimes make me feel that I'm not good enough. Uh, it does sometimes make me feel or uh, wonder, am I in the right place? Um, it is a sacrifice in, in some ways. Church ministry is a great job, um, but it's a sacrifice in other, in other ways. Uh, and I come to the Bible... Um, I'm not a mornings, well, I'm not a mornings person. I'm l sometimes low in the mornings. Uh, and I come to the Bible and I have to get my heart right with God uh, again. And sometimes I come to the Bible and I, and I just feel at the end of myself. Um, but as I read and as I believe the Holy Spirit directs me, um, there is usually uh, a verse or a promise or a concept or an idea or a voice, <laughs> an inner voice, um, that changes my day and changes my mind and transforms my thinking. Um, I, I've, I've learnt to stand on what God promises for me. He promises to be my refuge. He promises to be my strength. He promises to be my wisdom. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm meditating very much on John 15. Uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. This whole idea that I have the life of Christ flowing in me um, I've done the Freedom in Christ course, and if you're familiar with that, it's a wonderful course, and the, th the main thrust is, uh, who am I in Christ? But I think I'm beginning to learn who Christ is in me, uh, and to know I have his love and his joy and his peace and his patience. I have the same love in me for people that he has for people, so I can love people. I have the same strength in me that he has, so I, I, can, I can get through things. I think what you said there was just fantastic. There may be people listening here who know in their mind that Bible's important. Mm. Um, they probably agree with what, what you say, but they're not actually engaged with it in, mm. in an active mm. way. Mm. Uh, and maybe they rely on their Bible input from mm. uh, Sunday or whatever. What would you say to those people to really encourage them to take it to the next level, to, to get to the point where they are actively engaged with God's word and hearing God speak to them and, mm. and having those, mm. uh, those promises to mm. encourage them. What mm. would you say to those people? Mm. Well, first of all, read it. Read it um, regularly. Set aside uh, an unhurried time, an unhurried space uh, where you can read it. Um, get some advice on where to start, I think. Um, I think one of the Gospels is, is, is an ideal place. I love the Gospel of John. 
But I think most of all, um, to begin by aligning yourself um, to the fact that this is not just a book, this is an opportunity to meet a supernatural person who speaks through a supernatural book. So to begin uh, in prayer, uh, but not, not, not a prayer of, of, of rote, not a, just a prayer of form, but to be able to say, unless you open my eyes now, I will remain blind as I read this passage. Unless you open my heart and my ears to hear and receive, my heart will be closed and my ears will be stopped. I need you now, Lord, to open up this passage to me. And then to read it slowly and linger over it and talk to God whilst you're reading it. What does that mean? That's interesting. How does this apply to me? And, you know, it's, 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 I think John Piper wrote a book called Reading the Bible Supernaturally, uh, which I'd recommend. Um, and the other thing, I guess, is um, that it's really, really helpful to have some guidance as to how practically to do that. And, you know, without wanting to plug precepts too much, um, it was the precepts Bible study materials uh, which took inductive Bible study and put them into a form which is accessible to people. It, it's that which, more than anything else, um, taught me how to read the Bible. So yeah, there's a supernatural element of opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit, which is incredibly important, crucial in fact, the most important. But second to that is to learn a skill, to learn a way of reading the Bible uh, which means that you can unpack it for yourself. So, so the precepts materials are great, and they they give uh, questions uh, which help and guide me. I use them all the time in my study. I don't. I've, I've usually got a precepts um, study on the go, but even when I'm reading the Bible without a precept study, um, I've now learned a few ways and a few techniques, a few little secrets, a few little keys unlocking the Bible that I've learned through um, precepts um, study materials. So whether it's precepts or whether it isn't, get some help. Uh, and the other thing I would say, um, get together with other people as well. Read it in the context of a, of a church or a fellowship group so that you can be talking about this and, and discussing it and throwing it aside to other people. This is what we do in a little church. It's another way in which we're different. We don't have a sermon every week. Once a month we have a sermon. But the other, th the, the other three weeks uh, we're around a passage and we're using inductive Bible study methods in our little church setting. Very, very interactive. A lot of dialogue. A lot of, a lot of um, angst and talking together and sharing uh, around God's word. So that's the other aspect, I think. Sounds like the first church to me. That's what we would like to think. Doing practical debates. Um, do you have a favourite Bible book at all? Yeah, um, I've loads. Obviously, um, I've been thinking about this. Uh, Romans is stunning, absolutely stunning. But I think probably I'd go for the Gospel of John. Uh, I love to read about Jesus in the Gospel of John. The seven signs of John are, are, are uh, areas that we read and use in our little church. They're given, uh, John says, so that you might believe that Christ is the Son of God and in believing you might have life. Um, I remember hearing about a guy who was challenged to read the Gospel of John and he came back after the first week and, uh, and he said, you know, he said, I think that um, um, this guy believes he was God. And, the, uh, and he was told to go away and read it for a second week. 
And he came back after the second week and he said, you know, he said, I've read it a second time now. He said, I think everybody else, other people think he's God as well. And he was told to go away and read it for a third week. And he came back the third week and he was asked, so what did you make of it this week? He said, you know, I think he's God. <laughs> and, and the Gospel of John reveals Jesus so beautifully as God. And it's so warm. And I, can, and I can relate to the Jesus that I meet in the Gospel of John. Isn't that fantastic? Mm. Uh, what about a favorite Bible character? So many again, but I think Paul. Uh, I mean, you've said um, that I like um, a risk. I do. I'm activated by risk. I don't like it when things stay the same. I don't like it when things are safe, even though, despite what I said about being in Kenya. Um, and what I love about Paul is he is completely all and all out for Christ, for me to live is Christ. You know, he's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's been imprisoned. Nothing can shut this guy up. And as far as he's concerned, to, 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 uh, even life itself is not as good as being with Jesus. Uh, um, and he is go- he is going for it to the to, to the end. And I I uh, I feel uh, humbled when I when I think about how I am. Um, and yet, um, there's something in Paul that makes me want to follow him as he follows Christ. Um, um, again, um, I read a book some time ago called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Second time I mentioned him, sorry. Um, but that's, I guess that's it. I see that in Paul. He did not waste his life. He didn't waste his suffering. He didn't waste his persecution. He didn't waste the good times. He was content with plenty. He was content with little. Uh, and he invested his life in following Jesus, and um, although I I do it incredibly imperfectly and falteringly and sinfully, and lack of faith often and fear, ultimately that's what I want to do too. Yeah. Favorite Bible verse? My life verse, Psalm um, thirty-two, verse eight. I will instruct you uh, in the way that you should go. I will uh, teach you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you and the next verse says don't be like the donkey because the donkey needs a bit and a bridle and I, and I get encouragement for that as well because I think okay sometimes I am like the donkey praise God thank you for the bit and the bridle but, <laughs> but I'm cheating here because I'm giving you two aren't I but I think if I had to choose a favourite one it would be Colossians um, 3 4 is it where, um, where, Christ, where Paul simply says when Christ who is your life appears he talks about uh, being dead. Uh, let me just, can I just read it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so verse, um, verse two said, uh, verse three says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And what, you know, why is that of all the verses in the Bible, my favorite verse? It's just that little phrase, when Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is your life, and that just does something for me because I think of all the beautiful things in my life, my wife and my children, my friends, the good things we enjoy, good food and films and movies and things like that. My guitar, which I, I, I love uh, perhaps uh, the, the most thing after some important people I could mention. None of those things, however good they are, can ever be my life. Only Christ can be my life. And to be a Christian, to be one of Christ's, to have him as my life is, is, is astounding and astonishing that he should choose me and I should have him. Rob, it has been a real pleasure and a privilege to speak to you today. And uh, 
Thank you for your witness. Thank you for the work that you're doing to encourage others to disciple others. Uh, you are, you and Jane are a tremendous example to Laurie and I, I have to say. And it has been a real pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for being on the programme. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Nigel. You have been listening to The Bible and Me Podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at PresetMinUK.